Welcome to Bridges Community Church. And whether you're joining us online or live in person, we would like to say thanks for joining us. And remember, it doesn't matter what you've been through in your life. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with or what you're going through right now. You are welcome here and you are in the right place. We will begin our services in just a few moments. And as we prepare to enter into a time of worship, we would just like to say we would love to connect with you. If you're new with us, head to bridges.info and let us know that you're here and we'll reach out this week and find out how we can be praying for you or how we can help get you connected to our community. Hey, coming up on July 31st, we will have our annual uh, beach worship service down at Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. So I want you to make plans right now, uh, July 31st. Do not come to this building the morning of July 31st and instead travel to Seabright Beach near Santa Cruz. We will have music, um, a short message, and the, maybe the most important thing is time together as a church family hanging out all afternoon as long as you can make it into your schedule on Seabright Beach in Santa Cruz. Bring a lunch, bring a towel, bring some sunscreen, and come to Seabright Beach July 31st instead of coming here on Sunday morning. And for anyone who has not yet been baptized, one of the amazing things that we often do when we are down at Seabright Beach um, is have baptisms in the ocean. So if you have been waiting to be baptized, if you are a believer in Christ and have not been baptized since you became a believer, now's the time. We want to baptize you in the ocean down at Seabright Beach on July 31st. So make sure you get that into your schedule and we will see you there. Who could care? 
worship together. I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. And you called my name.
Church, we are so delighted that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. This week, as I was thinking about worshiping together today, I was reminded that sometimes we forget, right? We forget about the grace of God, even though it's so evident to us. And I think that worship is a great time to remind ourselves of how good God is. And we do that within ourselves and God on our own, but coming corporately together to worship is so special. It's so beautiful to get to hear your voices. And so I invite you, I encourage you this morning as we continue to sing to God, the God of grace, that you think about the words that you're singing and that you don't just sing them mindlessly, but that you actually listen to them and think about them in your mind and in your heart and ask God if you mean them. I love in first or in John chapter 1 where it says that God from his fullness, the fullness of Jesus, has given us grace upon grace. So let's sing about that grace today and ask yourself, do I mean what I'm singing? Let's continue to sing.
here, but I'm now found. Heaven, oh, you came down and Chris rescued me. How sweet, yeah, the sound. Once lost, oh, but I'm now found. Yeah. Hey. 
Nikolai up to lead us in a time of prayer. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nikolai. I'm one of the elders here, and I uh, want to uh, share a few things maybe before we pray together. Um, there are several things we can pray as a church. Uh, one thing that's happening next week, uh, or actually this week that just started, is a sports camp uh, for uh, elementary school children. And uh, we can pray for safety there and for children to hear gospel, uh, especially those who will be new. Also, we can pray for volunteers who will be joining to help that camp, and um, I think there are more volunteers needed still. Um, we can also pray for the situation in the world, um, for the uh, epidemic that's still raging, and also for the war in Ukraine that's happening. I've shared um, three months ago how I personally, my f extended family has been affected there. Um, praise the Lord, they're still fine there, but the, the city is still captured. And um, so there is still a lot of need to pray for, for the people in Ukraine, for the people who live in the cities which still get in shelled. And uh, um, for, for this whole situation to be resolved, um, one thing I wanted to share for as an encouragement before we pray um, is uh, from Second Corinthians, where Apostle Paul was sharing how they were going through great trials, and he said that we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. And so this is our only hope. Like in all of the situations that we have in life, uh, some of us have these death sentences or sentences in certain situations in our life where we just cannot fathom how it can be resolved in any human way. And that's our only hope, that God will intervene and do something. And so, as we are praying today, I will make a pause where we all can pray for whatever is on our heart, whatever may, we may have some sentence in our heart, <laughs> in our life, that something is worrying us. Uh, we can pray um, each one for that. And the Lord, let's hope that the Lord is the one who will resolve it. Uh, we cannot ourselves, but He will. So let us pray together and come to our only hope. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank You for being such a good, loving Father. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for the mercy that we just sang about. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and who has accepted this ultimate sentence of death on the cross that we would have hope, that we would have this ultimate hope in you, Lord. Even though the circumstances in our lives 
may be overwhelming, but we have hope only in you. Lord, we also we want to pray now for the situations in our life where we have these struggles, Lord. Lord, thank you for listening to our prayers. Thank you for answering them. We're praying for this coming week that you would help in the sports camp, that you would keep children safe, and that you would bless the leaders in this camp and the volunteers um, to be able to share about you and um, for children to have a good time there. Also praying for our church to continue to grow in you and for many people around us to get to know you, Lord. Also praying for this situation in the world where a lot of people are still getting sick, Lord. Uh, we're praying that this pandemic would go away, Lord. If this is your will, Lord, we're just praying for your help as we're overcoming this, as we're going through this trial, that you would be with us, Lord. Also praying for the situation in Ukraine. We're praying that Russian troops would stop their fight there and that Russian leadership would just stop waging war. And we're praying for safety of people in Ukraine. In Jesus' name, we pray for all of this and we thank you, Lord, that you are all our only hope. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Nikolai, for sharing and for uh, leading us in a time of prayer. As we continue our time of worship, we have a new song uh, that we're going to lead up here. And I invite you, uh, as I often do, to take whatever posture of worship um, works best for you. If you want to just uh, listen to the words of the song, it's a newer song uh, for everybody, uh, just listen. And um, if you catch on right away, or if you know this song already and you want to sing with us, please, by all means, belt it on out. And if you want to stand, lift your hands, keep your hands full, whatever posture works for you. But let us continue our time of worship as we focus on uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. song they're already singing holy 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 are you just to bow down before your throne see your face I'll cry out because you're holy holy
at this time, we'll dismiss our elementary school students to join Miss Alba in the back, and we'll have our strings come on off the platform. Can we thank our strings for being here with us this morning? Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's in his faithfulness. Hey, we're starting a new series today in the Psalms, uh, which will take us all the way until the end of summer. Um, one time I had a well-seasoned pastor tell me, I won't say old, uh, well-seasoned pastor tell me, uh, if you are leading a church and your people need their hopes restored, do a series in the Psalms. Um, so I don't know how much of our hope still needs to be restored post-pandemic, but there's still there's certainly plenty going on that we might need hope. So here we are in the Psalms. Uh, so as we start the Psalms, a little bit of introduction. There are 150 Psalms, meaning we will not cover all of them this summer. They were written by at least seven different authors, at least. Uh, but there's about 50 Psalms that don't mention any author at all. Uh, so we don't know precisely how many people wrote the Psalms, which also means we don't know the exact context in which all the Psalms were written. Um, and since one was written by Moses, others were written way later by Solomon, they cover at least centuries of time. But all of them, all 150 of them, were considered sacred scripture by uh, ancient Israel, by Jesus himself, um, and by the early church. So there's total agreement, all of these are sacred scripture. So what are they? What are the Psalms? Uh, Psalms are both prayers and songs. They all have meter and rhythm in their original language. Most, if not all, have been sung, set to music 
and sung for thousands of years. So as a backdrop to this whole series, please think about the role of singing in your spiritual life. Uh, the particular psalm we're studying today, Psalm 96, in fact, starts by declaring three different times, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Those are actually commands, which means singing is necessary. And it's not just here. There are over 400 references to singing in Scripture, over 50 of which are direct commands to sing. So before we really get into this series, just take a moment, reflect, self-evaluate how much of a role singing plays in your spiritual life. And notice, I did not say listening to music, which is also important, especially if we're learning a new song. But I said singing ourselves. How much role does singing play in your spiritual life? My hunch is that for many of us, singing might feel a bit unnatural or unnecessary. Um, and if you are someone who's new to church, first, welcome. But it might seem strange to you, so let's just say this. It might seem strange to you that a group of people comes together and sings songs to each other. That might look weird, I don't know, because when else do we do that as a culture? When we sing happy birthday? That's about it, right? Other than that, I... Do we go caroling as a group anymore? Does that happen, except in movies? I mean, some people will sing in concerts um, if they go to a concert. Other people's won't. Uh, I, I don't, what does that depend on, if you sing it or not? But certainly, as a culture, we don't, like, group sing weekly. But churches do. Why? Why, why do we do that? There's many reasons other than it's commanded, but really, one reason is... Um, there's something unique about singing that can unlock parts of our heart that cannot be unlocked any other way. So some advice. If you are someone who comes to church and you're not feeling it with Jesus or you're kind of ho-hum about God, start singing. And not just for a minute, like for a while. Keep singing. Because singing can help direct our hearts and emotions really in ways that nothing else can. And you should know that. Um, those of you who know me know that I'm sharing the benefits of singing with you um, as someone who might be pretty similar to a lot of you. Um, I'm left-brained, I'm analytical, I'm the son of a PhD missile scientist, okay? And at least the rational, logical stuff got passed down to me, not the complex math stuff that stayed with him. Um, but we were, we were not a singing family. Someone asked me the other day, like, what music did you listen to when you were a little kid? Or what did your parents have on the car radio? And I'm like, we didn't listen to music. Like, there was nothing on in the car. It was not part of our lives. And maybe as a result, who knows, um, I can't sing. I am not a singer. It does not sound pleasant when I sing. You notice Nate still has not asked me to be on the worship team. So if you are someone who thinks, I can't sing, people don't want to hear me sing, because when I do, it sounds like somebody's strangling a sick moose. I can relate to you. Okay, I get it. But I'm telling you, as someone who might be a lot like you, there is something about singing that can unlock parts of our heart that cannot be unlocked any other way. We need to sing. We need to sing, regardless of ability. 
We need to sing from wherever we sit and hear, but not just in here. We need to sing in the normal rhythms of our own lives, on our own. Maybe you can start by singing in the car when no one else can hear you, right? Just belt it out. That would be good. Is that part of your life? Is singing to God a normal part of your life? Singing hymns, singing contemporary songs, making up our own songs to God. First first here, right? Sing a new song, a new one. How often do you do that? My hunch is, for some of us, maybe not a lot. But there are just parts of our spiritual lives that will not grow any other way. So as a backdrop to this whole series really reflect on the role of singing in your relationship with God. Not listening to music, although that's fine too. Singing. God would not have put the Psalter, as it's called, of 150 Psalms in Scripture if singing weren't essential. Okay, today we're looking at Psalm 96. And like other Psalms, uh, we'd have to assume Psalm 96 is a song, especially since it makes so many references to Scripture. And in this Psalm, uh, the psalmist, King David, uh, he's totally entranced. He's amazed, captivated by the glory and wonder of God. Now, I know for some of us, we are in a season right now where we don't feel like we can authentically praise the Lord like David does in this psalm. We might be in a season, like we just talked about with our Job series that we just finished, where we are angry or wrestling with God. And that's fine. Like, keep doing that. But at the same time, Psalm 96 actually gives us a roadmap for how to sing praises to God at all times, regardless of what's happening in our lives. So Psalm 96 shows us that we can sing praises to God for who He is, what he has done, and what he will do. For who he is, for what he has done, and what he will do. And really, we can do that regardless of what's happening in our own lives. Because those three points remain fixed and unchanging, always. God is who he is, always. God's past work has always been accomplished and is worthy of praise. God's future work is guaranteed, Always. Like, those are always true, regardless of what's happening in our current lives. So we could be wrestling with him over some immediate circumstances, which he wants, he welcomes, and then, at the same time, simultaneously praising him for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. And if we are singing to God about who he is, what he's done, and what he will do, it will likely work into our hearts to comfort us, um, and help us deal with our immediate circumstances, whatever it is that we're struggling with. So let's look at these individually. We can sing praises to God for who He is. And who He is is inherently worthy. Apart from anything God has done or will do, God, just in His nature, is worthy of praise. David wrote Psalm 96. You can look this up, First Chronicles 16. But David wrote Psalm 96 after they were bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Do you remember the story of them bringing the ark back to Jerusalem? The neighboring, if not, the neighboring nation, uh, the Philistines, had captured the ark. And the ark, by the way, uh, is, the, is the box where they kept the Ten Commandments. Right? Remember Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Everyone's face melts when they open it up. It's coming back to you now, right? Same ark. Uh, except the real one. So Philistines had captured the ark. Um, but then 
similar to the movie, I guess, all the Philistines start breaking out in tumors. So they freak out and they send the ark back, but it doesn't make it all the way to Jerusalem. And eventually, uh, David leads a group of people out to recover it. So they put it on a new cart to bring it the rest of the way to Jerusalem. But then, bumpy road, apparently, the cart is bobbling around, and the ark starts to fall off the cart. So one guy, Uzzah, 2 Samuel 6, if you want to read this, Uzzah reaches up to stop the ark from falling. But when he touches the ark with his hand, God strikes Uzzah dead on the spot. David, of course, um, immediately, wise leader that he is, says, we need to stop uh, and reevaluate what we're doing here. So they park the ark right there and leave it for a while. But sometime later, uh, they apparently learn, God says, you need to carry the ark with poles. The ark has these brackets on the side of it. You can like slide a pole through, and that's how you need to carry it, not on a cart. So David gets some poles and the right people. You're supposed to have Levites, and they begin to carry the ark again. And finally, they bring it back to Jerusalem. And when they do, David celebrates with all his might before the Lord. He's dancing, he's shouting, he's singing, it's just ecstatic. He's jumping around, 2 Samuel 6, if you want to read this. And of course, just like any time someone is really enjoying the Lord, someone else comes up and tells David, like, you shouldn't be dancing like that. And David says, hey, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to be even more nuts than this because I'm that excited about God. And then David writes Psalm 96, which again is recorded in 1 Chronicles 16. So the question for us, this is the question. David is celebrating, great. And he writes this psalm, great. But in that moment, what is David celebrating? It's not that that God has delivered them from some enemy. That happened a long time ago. They have not won a military victory recently. It's it's not that God has provided anything really specific for David. David's not praising God for health or wealth or comfort. Nothing particular is going on in that moment other than David has God himself. David is just celebrating who God is. He's celebrating God for God, right? The Philistines thought they could use God like as a lucky rabbit's foot. That's one reason why they captured it to begin with. They they thought they could use God to like gain military victories. It's not unlike the bad guys in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Uzzah thought he could approach God on his own terms. But God says, no, you can't approach me on your own terms. You can't make me part of your agenda. You can't contain me. I'm God. And that seems like it has to have been in David's mind when he's celebrating. He's just celebrating who God is. We can't contain him. He's tremendous. He's in charge. We get to be near him. Here's his presence. His presence is enough for us, even if nothing else is happening. Even if nothing else is happening. Um, You can hear David when he's writing these verses, like verse 4. He says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Or verse 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. It's like God is in charge. We aren't. 
There's some amount of trembling involved because we can't contain him. We can't force him onto our agenda. He just is. He just deserves praise because he is God. And that is always the case, always, regardless of what's happening in our lives. We can always sing praises for who God is. Second, uh, David sings praises to God for what he has done. Specifically, David sings praises for creation and redemption. Creation and redemption. Verse 5, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. That's creation. Then verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. That's redemption. Both creation and redemption are accomplished works of the Lord that are fixed and unchanging and always worthy of praise. Always. At the end of the Bible, for instance, the book of Revelation, we have this picture of what's going on in the heavens, and there's these 24 elders around the throne. We've talked about this before, but the 24 elders constantly praise God for, guess what? Creation and redemption. Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. It, it seems to be that their praises go on forever and ever and ever. They never get over it. They are eternally astounded by creation and redemption. Aren't you? Aren't you forever blown away by creation and redemption? We, uh, Beth and I, uh, moved to California six years ago. Um, my cousin helped us move, um, and so he and I drove the U-Haul across the country. Um, on the way, we stopped at the Grand Canyon. Uh, we just parked the U-Haul right up on the edge of the Grand Canyon. I'd been there before, uh, but this time we took a pink Jeep tour, um, which some of you may have taken from time to time. I asked our tour guide, who had worked as a tour guide at the Grand Canyon for 10 years, I said, does it ever get old? Does the Grand Canyon ever become mundane? Do you ever get desensitized to the beauty? And she said, no. Been there 10 years. She said, no. She said, there is always something new to see or discover. Or the way light hits this isn't the way the light hit it before. She said it never gets old. Now, if you really think about it, the size of the Grand Canyon in comparison to the size of the entire universe is nothing. Right? If we could somehow step back and look at the entire universe, we wouldn't even see the Grand Canyon. Um, the Grand Canyon is actually not big at all. It is, in truth, very small. If we were looking at the entire universe, right, we wouldn't even see Earth. We wouldn't even see our solar system. Um, and I'm not sure an astrophysicist can correct me. I've never stepped back and looked at the entire universe, but I don't know how visible our galaxy, the Milky Way, would be, right, if you were looking at the whole thing. Don't know. The Grand Canyon is like nothing in comparison to the whole. And if the tour guide hasn't lost the wonder of the small little Grand Canyon after looking at it every day for 10 years, how long would it take us to lose the wonder of the entire creation? We will never get over it. Creation will astound us forever. And we can always sing praises to God that he made the heavens. But maybe even more so, we can always sing praises to him for redemption. 
Uh, 1 Peter 1-2 tells us even angels long to look into and learn about redemption. It's as if redemption is so stunning that even angels say, I can't stop looking at it. I can't get my mind around it. I long to learn more about it. Because here's the story of redemption. Just one angle on it, okay? There are others. But since we already have creation on our minds, so while thinking about the size of creation, the size of the galaxies, how small the Grand Canyon is, you got the picture of creation? Where do humans fall uh, in terms of cosmic importance, size-wise, just size-wise? How noticeable are humans in the context of all of creation? Pretty insignificant, right? Like, as an understatement, we are pretty insignificant in terms of cosmic influence, um, seems like, size-wise. Um, actually, as we said, even the entire Earth is pretty insignificant. Because if the Earth suddenly disappeared, the universe really wouldn't notice at all. If our entire solar system disappeared, actually, it wouldn't even make a dent in what happens on a cosmic scale. So we can't even measure how small our lives are compared to the universe. And yet, the God who made the universe simply by speaking it into being, right? It, making the universe was effortless for him to do. God offers to us little tiny dust particles that we are, that we can become co-heirs with his son, Romans 8. That we will reign with Jesus, 2 Timothy 2.12. God takes us from immeasurably nothing to the highest status in the universe, like co-heirs with Christ. It's a, it's a rags-to-riches story. It's actually the rags-to-riches story. That's one angle on redemption. And if that weren't bananas enough, God provides us with this opportunity after we've rebelled against him. After. Originally, in the storyline of Scripture, God had given humans tremendous status. We were made in his image. We were given dominion over creation, it says. Even as small as we were, right? We were really, we were really something. But then we gave up our title. This is the storyline of Scripture. We, stopped, we followed God's enemy instead of God. We abandoned our privileged position. And now, instead of us stewarding creation along with God, the world is subject to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus refers to the prince of this world, the prince of the powers of the air, the ruler of this world, and he's not talking about us, right? We handed our dominion that God had given to us, we handed it over to evil. We were this pinnacle of creation, and we misused our privilege. We gave up our vocation. We gave up part of our purpose, the stewardship God had given us. We turned our back on all of that, and we tried to subvert the one who gave it to us. Um, our original status of, of so high really kind of makes our betrayal all the worse. It's a treason of sorts. But then, instead of giving us what our actions deserve, God comes to earth in the person of Jesus, pays the penalty that we owe for our betrayal on the cross so that our status um, as this pinnacle of creation, our status could be reinstated. That's redemption. Though we are cosmically insignificant in terms of size, though we have rebelled against God, giving up our original status and partnered with the evil one, even still, 
The God who made all the creation, bloodied himself, took our exile, bestowed upon us the highest status possible, co-heirs with Christ, reigning with him. Like, no wonder David says, proclaim his salvation, verse 2. No wonder these elders, Revelation 5, say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. No wonder angels long to look into salvation, especially since as far as we know, angels don't have the opportunity for redemption if they rebel. They don't get what we get. There is nothing like salvation. Nothing. It'll never get old. We will sing about it forever. So we can always praise God for redemption. Always, no matter what is happening in our lives. Okay, third, David praises God for what he will do, which is judge the earth. He will judge the earth. Verse 10, God will judge the peoples with equity. Verse 13, God will judge the world in righteousness and his people and the peoples in faithfulness. David, get this, is excited that judgment is coming. He's excited which is likely an important corrective for some of us because we, we might tend to bristle when we hear that God will judge the earth. We might think judgment is narrow or, exclu- or exclusive. We might think everyone should be able to live by their own truth regardless of what they're doing without feeling condemned for it. You know, kind of like the book of Judges. Everyone should be able to do what's right in their own eyes. The problem with that. Um, which we have all experienced. If we have worked in a dysfunctional company or if we have served in any level of management, we know the problem with everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. The problem is it leads to chaos and pain for everyone, always. So if we want peace and harmony, we have to, we have to have a strong leader who enforces, enforces what is good and right and fair. We have to have a leader who judges with equity. We must have a leader like that if we are going to have peace. We must. In the absence of good, equitable judgment, there is no peace, and everyone gets hurt. So, for instance, I don't know how many of you pay attention to uh, Southern Baptist news, uh, but over the past, this has been brewing for several years, but it's come to a head in the last couple of years. It has been revealed in the Southern Baptist Convention, which you probably know, largest Protestant denomination in the U.S. There were many reports of sexual misconduct that were not addressed and in some ways were suppressed. Uh, the issue is like way too complicated complex to fully detail. You can go read about it. But essentially, a small group of leaders at the top, and remember, Southern Baptists are 47,000 churches. There's many institutions, millions of great people, and the great people proved themselves, proved their greatness by their actions. We'll talk about that in a second. Fantastic people across the denomination. But a small group of leaders at the top knew about the reports of sexual misconduct uh, in their churches in certain institutions with certain leaders, they knew about them. They knew about the problems. And in a lot of cases, they did nothing. They did not oust the leader. They did not warn the church. And even sometimes they suppressed the reports of abuse or misconduct. They chose to keep the reports quiet, apparently uh, for the reputation of the denomination. But what really makes you cringe is then they tried to discredit the people saying that there was a problem. So instead of the reputation of the denomination getting damaged, the strategy was to ruin the reputation of the victims and their advocates. Um, 
It's unfortunately much easier to shoot the person who says there's a problem than to actually admit that there's a problem. And that's what they were doing. Only this small group at the top. They wanted to silence the people who needed help. But over time, the victims made enough noise, gained enough support, that really the entire denomination as a whole began putting pressure on this small group of leaders. Like, you need to disclose what you know. You must do it. And of course, the leaders didn't want to do that. They came up with all kinds of excuses of why it would be bad to release the information. They're like, we're going to get sued. The people aren't going to trust us anymore. Our reputation. But the rest of the denomination, like 99% of these fantastic people said, we don't care. We don't care what the consequences are. We don't care if we get sued. We don't care if we ruin our reputation. We are going to do the right thing. If someone has acted inappropriate, they will be held in ac accountable. And if someone has been hurt, we're going to get them help. We don't care how much money that costs either. We're going to do it. Right? That's great people. And they put enough pressure on the small group at the top that they force that small group of leaders to disclose what they know. And then the small group of leaders, of course, gets kicked out. Public apologies are made to victims. Funds are set up to support victims, get them care. New rules are put in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. And here's the point. We say that is good. If you have been following this story, you feel relieved. Bad leadership kicked out. Victims get justice. Judgment is good. It's good. It's needed. We need a leader who judges with fairness and equity and sets wrongs right, who kicks bad guys out, establishes health across an organization, and continues to enforce it. It is good. And David looks forward to the day when the good king will come to judge the whole earth so that he will set up his rule and reign and all the wrongs, not just some of them, all the wrongs will be set right. David says he sings, actually, when that happens, it's going to be so good that the sea will roar, the trees of the forest will sing for joy, creation itself will say, finally, like people are going to stop doing what's right in their own eyes and we're going to have a good king. Wickedness will end. Destruction will end. All the bad guys kicked out. Jesus will bring healing both to the world and to our own hearts. So listen, if you are someone who like bristles at the thought of Judgment Day, or maybe you even fear it, there is no need for that. You can rejoice at the thought of Judgment Day without fear because you know as someone who's placed your trust in Christ, that day will be the day of your complete healing. Evil will be exiled, even the evil in your own heart. And you won't be exiled because Jesus was exiled in your place. And we will finally live under his perfect rule. Not because we've merited it somehow, just by grace, just by forgiveness, just by his redemption, because of his substitution on our behalf to restore us to the status that we lost. So we look forward to judgment when all the wrongs will be set right. Even our own wrongs will be set right. And we can always sing, we can always praise God for the goodness of that day that is yet to come. Actually, maybe we can especially praise him for that day if everything is like exploding and tragic in our lives right now. 
Because if right now is a tough season, that means we're probably anticipating all the more the future reign of the good king who will set everything right, right? It'd be more real to us. We can always praise God for what he has yet to do. Like, hallelujah for judgment that everything will be set right one day. We love that day. We long for it. And we can rejoice in it now, regardless of what's happening in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is a good king. Thank you that we can trust him, that his healing will restore the world and restore our hearts, restore us to the status that we have lost because of our betrayal. Thank you that he took our exile, that we may be reunited to you, that we can have a privileged place in creation, and that you will bring uh, healing and restoration to this world. Let us look forward to that day. Sing about it, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Danny. Let's, uh, let's respond to that in song. Would you stand with me and sing uh, the old Jack Hayford hymn with us? And uh, I'm actually going to drop the mic as much as I can and uh, Mike's going to play only enough to keep us going, but uh, I think most of us know this as we sing Majesty. Would you stand and sing Majesty with us? Friends, before we depart from here, just a few things to share with you all. I want to say happy Father's Day uh, to all the fathers and grandfathers and father figures. Yeah, sure. I am grateful for my three children, 
uh, Tate, Raya, and CJ. I'm grateful uh, this Father's Day to be a grandfather um, and uh, to my uh, little almost one-year-old uh, granddaughter who is the apple of my eye. And uh, I also know, though, that for many here, perhaps, or those who are watching this uh, service online are going to be watching it, that Father's Day, like Mother's Day, is not always a happy day for some. And so we're mindful of that as well. And uh, we are thinking of all folks today, wherever you may find yourself today. But as you leave uh, the service this morning, you're going to find a special uh, treat out there that has been provided for us is just a way of saying happy Father's Day. There's, uh, I'm told, root beer floats. So we're looking forward to that as you leave. I hope that you'll linger out there on the patio and just, yeah, lots of talking and murmuring. Root beer floats. I'm burying the lead, I know. Like we should have, yeah, hallelujah. Thank you, yeah. So as you leave, uh, we hope that you'll linger out there on the patio and visit I see so many new faces each and every new week. I hope, longtime folks, that you'll identify somebody that you don't recognize and just say hello. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you're here. We hope that you, too, will partake in the, the root beer floats uh, with us, and we hope that you have a uh, wonderful day. Also, it's also in addition to Father's Day, many of you may know it's Juneteenth. Last year, Juneteenth was made a national holiday. It's a been around for a long time, but it just became a national holiday uh, last year, and so we want to acknowledge what Juneteenth means. Juneteenth uh, is the uh, reminder of uh, the announcement of the end of slavery back in the 1860s. We know that slavery still exists in many forms uh, in our world today, but Juneteenth is a reminder for us in unity with our brothers and sisters uh, around the world to remember the beautiful freedom and progress that our country has made uh, over the years, but also that we still have a long way to go individually and collectively. So it's a reminder that we as followers of Jesus have the opportunity each and every day to be ministers of reconciliation, to be people who love and show compassion and to embody the biblical vision of freedom and redemption and of harmony and of unity so I hope that we will be mindful of that. And I hope that you will take advantage of so many wonderful resources that exist if you're not sure uh, where to turn for how to educate yourself about the significance and the meaning of Juneteenth and why we as Christians should care about it. Please come talk to me and I can recommend a couple different podcasts and resources that are so meaningful. So we recognize Father's Day, we recognize Juneteenth. And also again, just if you're visiting with us, so glad that you're here. You may be curious about your next step um, and we'd love to send you to bridges.info. Bridges.info is a place where it's not just for visitors. It's for all sorts of folks who want to know what is going on here in the life of the church. We don't announce everything up here. Um, it would take too long to announce everything. So we encourage you to go to bridges.info because you're going to find most things written down there. And there are some things we will bring to your attention from the mic. But even whenever we don't, bridges.info is a great place to connect with us. You'll find next steps, ways to get plugged into the life of the church. You may have questions that you'd love to ask us as teaching pastors about our sermons this week. You can uh, send a question to Pastor Dan uh, upon reflection of today's message, and you can do that through bridges.info, the sermon questions uh, there. You can also find uh, boxes at the back and a link at bridges.info for those uh, who uh, are members and longtime attenders here at Bridges to give financially. This is a way that we 
uh, give back a portion of what God has so bountifully given to us. And so we do encourage you to worship God with your tithes and your offerings, and you can do that securely at those boxes or at the giving link there at bridges.info. You're also going to find ways to serve uh, our community, ongoing projects that we have, upcoming projects that we have. We want to, I want to give a special shout out to Lynn Rogers, who did a beautiful job of collecting and delivering some of the materials that you all contributed uh, that are Father's Day related for City Team. Some of you uh, contributed or wrote cards and participated in uh, celebrating some of the dads that are part of uh, City Team's beautiful ministry. So thank you to Lynn for that. There she is there in the back. Thank you, Lynn, for doing that. And we want to just let you know that we hope that you all will look at those opportunities there for upcoming service. want to hope that you put on your calendar, if you haven't already, Sunday, June, or excuse me, Sunday, July the 31st. Sunday, July the 31st. What's happening that day? That is our annual beach worship service. It's going to be at Seabright Beach, and we hope that all of you will participate uh, in the um, beach worship at Seabright Beach. You'll find more information at bridges.info and on the church website, connectbcc.org, actually bridges.church. I forget, we kind of have a new little website uh, URL there. So bridges.church, you can find out more about that. If you're not sure how to get to the beach or you want a ride, you need a ride, maybe you can offer a ride. Let us know uh, so that we can help make sure that everybody wants to be a part of that, can be there And I want to remind you that uh, we try to take opportunities, uh, depending upon those who are interested in getting baptized. It's a wonderful opportunity if you've never been baptized to get baptized in the ocean. That's such a highlight for us. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to be baptized and, and some of those next steps. We'd love to celebrate that with you. Baptism may be a daunting idea for some of you, but it is something that we see in scripture lived out for those who profess faith in Jesus. Um, And so we practice baptism by immersion here as a church. And so we're going to do that, hopefully, Lord willing, out there at the beach on July 31st. Talk to us if you'd like to get baptized. I was baptized as a six-year-old in Morristown, New Jersey, uh, where I was living at the time. And I got baptized on the same day as my sister. And I'm grateful that God prompted me uh, through his Holy Spirit to make that decision. It's something I'll never forget. My wife, Shannon, was baptized in a swimming pool when she made a profession of faith. I didn't know her at the time, but those are things that we've done as believers. We hope that you all will do that as believers. So lots going on, and as you, again, leave here today, we do hope that you'll uh, partake in our snacks. If we can serve you as pastors or pray for you in some way, we'd love to do that. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come grateful for your majesty grateful that you invite us into relationship, grateful that you model for us fatherhood, your good father. We know that we as dads and grandfathers fall short of your glory. Lord, we ask that you would breathe life into us, into our families, that we would, no matter how we are experiencing today, whether with joy or with a feeling of grief or sadness for whatever reason, Lord, we pray that you would meet us at our point of need, that you would inspire us to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you that we as a country have a day set aside like Juneteenth where we can recognize, again, the wonderful progress in our country, your favor and your mercy, but also how far we still have to go individually and collectively. We pray that we would pause and explore, God, your heart for all people, Lord. I pray that uh, as we leave here today, that your spirit would be in us, that we would 
be people of song, Lord, that we would sing praise to you in good times and in bad. Lord, you are worthy of our song. You are worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Enjoy those floats. See you out there.